Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Black Girls Have Anxiety 2, the safe space created for Black women by Black women to strip away the taboo of talking about mental health. You'll hear from mental health professionals and advocates as well as Black women sharing their experiences as we break down the complexities, explore ways to heal, and support each other. My name is Ashley, I'm your host. Whether you're a seasoned regular or this is your first time tuning in, thank you so much for your support. Now let's get into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Black Girls Have Anxiety 2. Oh, it is end of November already. Like, I can't even believe this. I don't know when you listen to this episode, but I can't believe this year is like flown by. Um, But today I'm super excited. Let me introduce myself. I always forget to do this, but my name is Ashley. I'm the host. Um, Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you to everybody that is returning and you've been listening to episodes. I appreciate y'all. And to anybody that's new, new, welcome to the podcast. Um, today we have a very special guest. I have been like, kind of like low key lurking on her Instagram for a minute now. Um, but we managed to connect and I'm really excited about this particular topic today. Um, we are going to get into holistic healthcare, particularly how it pertains to our reproductive system and how, how that can affect our mental health and how we can, you know, alternative ways of managing it. Um, but today we have Samantha Denae and I'm welcome to the podcast. I'm excited. Thank you for having me. I'm excited too. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Um, first of all, I, I mean, you like drew me into your videos because obviously you have like beautiful locks. They're blues. If you're on YouTube, check like it's, it's gorgeous. Um, so like your spirit kind of like drew me in, um, which is hard to do on Instagram. So, but she makes really, really cool content. And a lot of it is centered around um, holistic healthcare and um, just really being in touch with what's going on in your womb. So I will give you guys a little bit more background. So Samantha is a certified holistic health practitioner uh, and Yoni Steam practitioner. She is a spiritual womb counselor, herbalist, endometrius advocate, educator, and survivor. Um, Her personal journey and experience with endometriosis has led her to the destination and purpose of a womb healer. Um, She is the owner of Samantha Denae LLC and provides spiritual healing services such as yoni steaming, Reiki, spiritual massage cleanses, and more to work towards the goal of unlearning to relearn and love yourself and your womb. So she's creating holistic products uh, like in-touch womb detox capsules, um, I've been taking them for like two weeks. I did put in a little order a couple weeks ago. Um, so that's been really cool adding it to my, um, host of supplements that I take for my endometriosis, but, um, she's doing really, really great things. She's also in her spare time. I don't know what spare time you have, but she has spare time on top of all the things I've already mentioned. Um, she educates high school students on period and reproductive health and how to advocate for themselves with doctors and family. Additionally, as a womb motivational speaker, she's providing her audience with real life look at with a real life look at trauma and how it plays a role in your health and physical ailments and how to really start healing uh, by correlating physical and spiritual and really thinking about how trauma bl- plays the biggest role, uh, can play the biggest role in your life. So whew, you are busy over there. Just a little bit. Yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> No, I think the work that you're doing is is really exciting and important. And I think um, particularly for Black women, um, 
when it comes to like endometriosis and particularly like things like fibroids, like that is something that kind of lurks and we don't really talk about it a lot. So the fact that you are putting so much energy into raising awareness and um, talking about these alternative ways of looking at healing is super, super exciting for me. Thank you. Yes. Um, well, I want to get to know a little bit more about you and I'm sure my audience does. So we are going to hop right into our fast and curious segment. Um, what is fast and curious? So fast and curious. I like the name. Thank you. <laughs> fast and curious is basically um, three minute segment where I just throw a bunch of questions at you. They're going to be random. They're going to be mm-hmm. a little weird and quirky. So you give me the first thing that comes to mind. If you got a story behind it, feel free to tell it, but it's just three minutes. Okay. You ready, Samantha? I'm, I'm ready. Okay. Don't be nervous. Okay. <laughs> All right. What is your favorite dessert? Strawberry shortcake. Oh, yes. Um, what was your favorite game to play as a child? Mm, probably checkers or oh, horse. Yeah. Yes. Oh, both of those for mm-hmm. sure. Um, is there a, a place that you would like to visit that's maybe on the top of your bucket list or a place that's like imaginary, maybe like Avatar or like something out of a book? Um, I've always wanted to go visit Jerusalem. Ooh, that would be an amazing trip. Yeah, that's like one Ooh. place that's on the top of my list. Yes. Oh, I want to watch awesome. the Holy Land. Yes. <laughs> okay, if you go, you have to let me know. You have to come back and tell us how, how it goes. I sure will. Yes. <laughs> um, what's the weirdest food you've ever eaten? Mm, the weirdest? I have been I have been in some places, but I haven't had anything that's super weird. So probably, probably raw when I when I tried raw fish for the first time, and not like sushi, but like the actual like whole piece of like oh like a tuna. chunky piece of fish, yeah, like a chunky piece of tuna or like yeah. squid. I took yeah. my niece, um, I took my niece sushi eating it was her first time before she mm-hmm. went off to college for for for, for school and stuff she mm-hmm. wanted to try sushi so we both tried that kind of raw sushi together I had only I had only just had regular sushi rolls yeah. but never just the big pieces of like just fish by itself yeah the big like sashimi yeah. little bites Sa- salmon is disgusting really it was so nasty oh my god oh I I love but, salmon raw salmon cooked salmon I had salmon last night and I love salmon but eating it raw like that now the, really? now the 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 squid and the tuna that was fine yeah but not but not, not, not <laughs> well that's good that's that's like that's very adventurous though if you don't usually eat stuff like that yeah i'm down to try anything at least yeah once. same same um are you a traveler or a homebody both both yeah, I used to be a flight attendant, so I used to travel a lot, and I miss it. Yeah. <laughs> but I really do love being in the comfort of my own home. Yeah, I like that. The balance, the balance. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you have a favorite plant? I don't have a favorite plant, but I have a favorite flower. Okay, we'll take that. Um, So my favorite flower is calla lilies. Okay, I've and seen that. And rose comes, like, at a very, very close second. Ah, red yeah. roses or any particular color? Um... I love red roses, but I really like yellow. So I, okay. I try to buy myself flowers like every two to three weeks. 
Oh, I like that. Is that like a form of self love? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I feel. Oh. I, you know, I don't have a man or anything, so if nobody else is gonna give me flowers, at least hey. I can give them to my give them to myself. So yes, so yeah, about, and that it, it raises the energy in my house. Flowers like red roses, they carry the highest vibration of any flower. So really, I try, yeah. So I try to keep roses in my house. I have some pink ones in my house right now. My brother just gave me a bouquet. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. Because he knows I like to keep flowers in the house, so he bought yeah. me a bouquet of flowers. So I got some oh, pink over here that. right now. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm inspired. I might have to buy myself some flowers one of these days. Yeah, see how see how it changes your energy when you walk in your house. Just like yeah. how, how how much it feels your energy just to see like some pretty flowers just sitting on the yeah. counter. I'm going to start doing that. Actually, mm-hmm. I've recently been into candles and buying mm-hmm. candles that I really, really like. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe, plant, maybe um, yeah, flowers are flowers. next. Yeah. I like that. Um, what season, if you could be any season, what season would you be? Spring. Spring. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, um, when you were growing up, what did you want to be when you grew up as a child? I used to want to be an obstetrician. Oh, okay. Which is is so funny. It's very fitting. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I see how it's full circle. Yes. Very much a full circle moment Mm -hmm. right now. (laughs) Yeah. Chef was my second choice though. Okay. So do you throw down? Like I do. I love to cook. It's my favorite form of meditation. Oh, yes. I love that. What's your favorite thing to cook? I don't have a favorite thing. I like to try different. I like to try uh, cooking new new things. Mm-hmm. And I, I grew up like around my grandparents. So I watched my grandma's cook in the kitchen. So like I like to cook from scratch. I don't really like to cook like out of boxes. And you know, yeah. like, people make beans out of the can. I like to cook dry beans and like. Pick, oh, stuff wow. off, pick, pick pick greens off the branches and stuff. I don't like to cook if it's not like gonna be fresh yeah oh I love that mm-hmm. what um what is the best piece of advice that you've ever been given do not forget your dream while working for somebody else's Ooh, that's that one's yeah that's a good one yeah, it's something I have to continuously tell myself. Really? Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you've gotten better at it over time? Like yeah. really focusing on your own stuff? Yeah, because everything yeah. I everything I do for the most part is for my business or mm-hmm. for my path or my purpose. Um, but when you when you trying to live in this world and, and yeah. have some kind of stable foundation, sometimes it gets it gets hard to have the uh, the freedom. Yeah. And the and the energy to want to be able to tackle your own stuff after you yeah. had to tackle somebody else's stuff all day. Yes, I hear you. So, yeah. Whoo, I hear you on that one. Yeah. <laughs> well, we are gonna hop right into our mind games uh question segment. So mind games for anybody that's new that's listening, mind games is the part of the podcast where I give y'all a little test. So I describe a mental health uh disorder or syndrome and you have to take a guess as to what it is. Now, if you're on Spotify listening to this podcast, you can actually drop your guess or uh, choose your choose your guest uh, below the, like actually where the episode pops up on your phone. Uh, if you're on iPhone, I'm sorry. They still don't, they still don't have it on your phone. Um, but at the end of the episode, we will circle back to Mind Games and I will give you the answer. So you got to hang out with us for the whole time. Um, Samantha, you're welcome to check to uh, to, to to guess too okay. if you want to. I can't tell you if it's wrong or right. Maybe I'll give you like a look. So okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, but we, yeah. So today's mind games question. This one is a, is an interesting one. It kind of, I read it and I was like, oh, I've never heard of this before. Um, this particular syndrome is a condition that some people get when they lose some or all of their vision. It causes them to have visual, visual hallucinations, um, basically seeing things that aren't really there. Uh, with healthy vision, light enters the eye and, receive, and is received by the retina. And the retina then converts these light rays into visual messages, which are sent to the brain. So when people actually lose their vision from diseases like uh, age-related macular de degeneration or glaucoma or diabetic retina retinopathy, 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 I can read y'all, I promise. Um, their visual system just doesn't process new images. So without visual data coming in through the eyes, the brain starts to fill the void and makes up images or recalls stored images for you to see. So this basically results in uh, visual hallucinations, uh, particularly uh, particular to this particular syndrome. Particular to this, that doesn't make any sense. This is what causes a visual halluc hallucinations of this syndrome. It's very similar to how people who have lost a limb may feel phantom pain um, and is not necessarily a sign of a mental health problem. Um, the main, so the main symptom of this is having visual hallucinations. Um, interesting enough that it's not a sign of a mental health problem, but it is affecting your mental health because you are actually see your brain is seeing things that aren't there. Any guesses, Samantha? Not a single one. Not a single one. This one is, I uh, feel like this one is kind of difficult. Probably one now, of the more difficult ones. Now I'm intrigued though. Interesting, right? Yeah, like visual hallucinations. I don't think I ever heard that term before. Yeah. Not well, put together like that. Right? Well, we are going to come back to Mind Games at the very end of this episode. And I will give you the answer as well as some more facts about this particular syndrome. For now, we are going to get into... You know, we're going to do what's the psych tea now. I'm not going to wait till later. <laughs> we're going to hop into what's the psych tea now. So this, uh, for anybody that is new to the episode or new to the podcast, uh, what's the psych tea is a new segment, basically where I uh, find an article online uh, that has to do with mental health. And we just, you know, I give you all a little bit, little tidbits from the article and we can talk a little bit about it. So this particular article is on, <clears throat> excuse me, epilepsy and depression. And it's talking about the link between the two. Um, this article was published by psychcentral.com and it was medically reviewed by Nancy Hammond, MD, um, and written by Jared C. Pistola. <clears throat> excuse me, sorry, y'all. Uh, epilepsy is more common in people with depression, which I thought was really interesting. Uh, it's partly due to the brain regions hormones and social factors affected by the two conditions. So epilepsy is a health condition um, that can affect your life in many different ways. When paired with depression, it can be even, epilepsy can be even more challenging. So um, your risk, obviously, if you have epilepsy for experiencing depression is higher than the general population. Both epilepsy and de uh, depression can be difficult to manage and the relationship between them is not well understood um, but there are various treatment options that can help. Uh, <clears throat> ep epilepsy is also associated not just with depression, but also associated to anxiety, alcohol use disorder, migraine, chronic liver disease, and peptic ulcer disease. Uh, depression is most common mental health condition 
out of all of them that is associated with epilepsy. Um, there's a study that reported about 16.3% of people with epilepsy had depression compared to 9.5% of people without it. Um, the depression, depressive episodes typically occurred between seizure episodes. So I guess as, uh, as I was reading this, I kind of thought, well, I think I would be depressed too if I kept mm -hmm. having epileptic seizures. So I wonder if it's, I wonder what the actual connection of the, these two is, whether it is like, uh, because I have epilepsy, then my brain is depressed or am I feeling depression because I have epilepsy? Does, you know what I mean? Yeah. I was just about to say that if I was having continuous epileptic seizures, I'd be depressed too. Yeah. I would be like really, really struggling. Like that sounds like I would almost have some PTSD. Yeah, because it's just like the constant, um, like the constant unknown of when yeah, it's going to happen. Yeah, because they're so sporadic. Mm -hmm. um, and this says after seizure, your hormone, ho your hormone levels change um, and hormonal changes, obviously, as we're going to get into later, affects your mood or can affect your mood. Um, but there was some research done in 2021 um, that found that the following hormones actually change. So the growth hormone, cortisol, prolactin, um, a really long word. So I'm going to try to pronounce it adrenocorticotropic hormone or ACTH and sex hormones. Um, when it comes to the brain, the regions of the brain, um, of course, as you can imagine with an epileptic seizure, your brain is obviously going to be affected because you're literally like seizing, um, but both sides of the brain are frequently involved in, when the seizure is actually happening and experience a high level of electrical activity during the seizure. Interesting enough, in depression, the opposite happens where the electrical activity in the temporal lobes uh, seems to be underactive or, you know, a lot less than when the seizure is happening. So there's, there is just a, there's just a lot going on. I feel like when you have epilepsy and the ways that it can affect your brain or the ways that your brain is affected during the seizure. And then if, whether or not you're feeling depressed or the epilepsy and the shift in hormones is causing depression, it's just a lot to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. That's really complex. It's very complex. And um, yeah, I did not realize, I mean, it makes sense, like we said, uh -huh. but I did not realize that there was that much going on outside of the actual epileptic seizure. So right. if you want to read more about it, I will throw the link into the description. Um, feel free to take a look. And if you want to nerd out on uh, articles like me, feel free to click at the link. <laughs> we are going to finally get into what, uh, what Samantha is here for. Um, <laughs> so I, before we really jump into these questions, I guess, um, for one, I'm trying to do a better job on this podcast of uh, being more open and more vulnerable and not just focusing on interviewing, but also like being involved in the conversation. Mm -hmm. And so I know I've mentioned it in passing quite a few times on the podcast that I have endometriosis and I have had it for a long time. My mom has had it, but I don't think I've really gone into um, my own journey. So before we jump into the things that kind of you've done to 
really help help you on your journey, I want to give a little bit of background on myself because your girl is struggling. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so I have endometriosis, and I've known I've had it for a long time. I just got diagnosed this year, but I actually have a, a very weird form of endometriosis called thoracic endometriosis. And I won't go too much into the detail, but it basically means that every month when I get my cycle, there's a possibility that my lung can collapse. So I've been in the hospital many times over the past three years. Um, my first lung collapse happened in 2019. Um, and I'd had endometriosis before that, but I'm, it had spread basically up my abdomen and into my chest. So now I am not only dealing with like extremely painful cramps and fatigue and nausea. Um, I'm also dealing with this, um, possibility that my lung might collapse and having to really change my whole lifestyle from being super, super active um, to having to find ways to be active, but not quite as intense. Um, but outside of that, it is just a lot to manage. And sometimes it hinders me from being able to do the things that I want to do. And it has just been a, it has been a freaking roller coaster for the past three years in particular. Um, but in, in saying that I've had like the also very frustrating experience finding doctors that care and finding doctors that are willing to listen to me. Um, and also doctors that are willing to, um, yeah, doctors that care. Cause I've just had quite a few doctors that have, and I won't go into that on this episode, but I've had quite a few doctors that I've had really bad experiences with. Um, and I've had doctors that are clearly not listening to me as I say, I would like to be pregnant. And then they suggest birth control in the next breath. Um, and then tell me, I had a doctor this summer tell me that I should go on Google and look up the birth controls that she has suggested and I can pick which one that I want. So it is, yeah, needless to say, I did not do that. I'm looking for a new OB right now, but, um, it's just been a really frustrating experience. And so I think the connection when I saw your page, Samantha, is that I have simultaneously, as I've been seeing these doctors, I've also been on my own journey of like outside of the regular Western medicine, which is like either surgery or birth control when it comes to endometriosis, at least that's been my experience. What can I do as far as what I'm eating? What can I do as far as what I'm drinking? What can I do as far as like activities or massages or supplements, um, just relieving my stress that can help, uh, help my endometriosis and help relieve some of the symptoms from my endometriosis. So that's kind of how I landed on your page, but I want to know a little bit about your journey with endometriosis as far as like when you found out when you were diagnosed, were you officially diagnosed? Cause I know that's a whole process, but yeah, tell us a little bit about like how you and endometriosis met. Whew. It was quite a meet. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I've always had bad periods, um, very debilitating periods, like had to miss at least one day of school and work with my periods. But when I got to college, it seemed like my periods were getting worse instead mm. of like kind of better. Like all the doctors that I would see about my periods before 
I had my diagnosis will always tell me that my period would get better as I get older. But it was getting worse. Yeah, lies. And, all lies. Yeah, all lies. <laughs> and so um, in 2014, I, I had saw a doctor. And she prescribed me codeine pills for my period wow. pain. <clears throat> and I had already tried like other different kind of, you know, narcotics for my period pain. I had tried hydrocodone and promethazine and naproxen and none of that was working for me. So mm-hmm. she gave me codeine, but she didn't tell me how to take the codeine. And I was used to taking like 16, 1800 milligrams of ibuprofen during my yep. period. Yep. And so the codeine was like six milligrams of pill. So I had took mm-hmm. like six of them, you know, yeah. thinking like, oh, you know, 36 milligrams, like that's nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Then no, don't do that. And don't do so, that. Don't do that. Like, don't be like me. Ask questions before you just start taking stuff. Yeah. And so I took the codeine, slept through the night, got up and it was just, I was about to pass out. My cramps was, they were back. And so when I went back to the doctor, to talk to her about the coding and how I was feeling because it almost felt like I was oh, like about to overdose. I, I figured I took mm. too many. Um, thankfully, she wasn't there and I had to see somebody else. And I told Oof. him about my symptoms. I told him, you know, why I was taking the codeine and about my period. And he said, I think you have endometriosis. And I was like, what is that? I've never heard of that before in my life. And he gave me a pamphlet and said, you know, you're going to have to have a laparoscopic procedure in order to be diagnosed because you can't see anything with ultrasounds and um, CAT scans and stuff like that. So you have to have a laparoscopic procedure. And he asked me three questions. And these are the questions that doctors should be asking when somebody suspects that they have endometriosis. He asked me, is my period debilitating every month? He asked me if I have issues with going to the bathroom and if I have painful sex. And the answer was yes to all three. Mm, I hear and, you. Uh, so when I um, graduated from college, I had my first surgery in August of 2014, had just started my first big girl job and found out that I had two cysts that were the size of oranges wow. on my, and my uterus was the same size of an orange when it should have been the size of a lemon because I've never been pregnant or had kids before. Um, and I had smaller cysts that were around and then I was stage one endometriosis. And so from there, they put me on birth control, which I did not want to be on, but kind of had felt like I had no choice. Um, And my doctor said, you have endometriosis. There is no cure. You have to figure out what you want to do now. Um, If you want to have kids, like you need to kind of figure all that out now. And this is just how your life is going to be. And I was like, all right. Well, thank you for that. Um, But I I felt I was mad, but I felt relieved at the same time because finally I had a name. Yeah. To, to to what was going on and not me just having bad periods. Um because yeah. that's how everybody just likes to place it off is if you have bad periods. And nobody should be having bad periods. Everybody should be having a normal period. But once I was diagnosed, I was put on birth control. The birth control wasn't really working for me. I it was some kind of birth control pill. I can't remember. Um I think it was like Lolo estrogen or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um and then I moved to Lupron. <clears throat> And I tried Lupron Depot for four months because that was all I could do. Mm-hmm. Extremely horrible. Um, for y'all who don't know, Lupron Depot is a chemotherapy treatment that they give to people with endometriosis. Mm-hmm. Um, it is the same chemotherapy that they give to men who have prostate cancer 
And if you take Lupron, you are supposed to be on hormonal replacement therapy, but I was not. And I didn't know about hormonal replacement therapy until after I had already been on Lupron for like two months. And when I got on Lupron, I didn't have any energy. Getting out of the bed was was hard. Taking a shower was too long and too strenuous. Um, I was going through menopause because I was since I wasn't on the hormone replacement therapy, I was going through menopausal symptoms. So I was having hot flashes like every 15 minutes. I was having night sweats. I didn't have a sex drive. Um, started to get like the osteopor- osteoporosis in my bones and stuff. Um, it was bad. And how old were you when that was happening, when they put you on Lupron? I was 25. My so goodness. I was like 25 going through menopause and not having a sex drive and not caring whether anybody ever touched me again or looked at me again. Yeah. I would just want to be left alone. Yeah. Um, and the Lupron made me um, breakthrough bleed, which is mm. like if you spot for like a week or longer. Um, so I started breakthrough bleeding for like a week and then it went to two weeks and then it went to three weeks. And then I said, yeah, this isn't going to work. So I got off of Lupron and I went back to birth control. Um, but I guess my I wasn't recognizing it at the time, but I guess my body was trying to tell me she don't like it. She don't like the, yeah. the, the birth control and, and the loop run and stuff. Yeah. Um, but then my period started to go to the 90 days for nine months out of the year. Oof. So, yeah. A nine, a, a 90 day period. Mm-hmm. And I would, wow. get maybe, I would get maybe like a break for like a day or maybe three days, yeah. maybe a month. If I was, if I was lucky, I'd get like a month break, but it was usually like I had a 90 day period around the, around the clock for like four years. It was like that. My goodness. I don't think I've ever had a 90 day period, but I've had definitely like a month long period. And Mm -hmm. that was kind of my norm when I was in high school. Mm -hmm. So I've been, I've been on, well, I'm not on birth control now and I haven't been on birth control in a very long time, but I was first put on birth control in middle school. Mm -hmm. I was 12. I think I was in seventh grade at the time and my periods were debilitating. And for my mom, because she had endometriosis and they told her the same thing, take Mm -hmm. birth control and, you know, you got to live with it and you probably won't have kids and, Mm -hmm. you know, that's all we can do. Um, So for, for me, I grew up thinking bad cramps, bad periods were normal Mm -hmm. because that's what she told me. And it's no Mm -hmm. fault to her. Like that's what the doctors are telling her. She's listening to them. So even in middle school, you know, all your friends are getting their period and you're Uh like, do you have your period? Do you have yours? And I'm like, yeah, I do. And I can't, I like, I, I need to go home. Yeah. And I also need to go to the bathroom every 45 minutes to change, you know, because the amount of, even to this day, the amount I bleed and the amount of like, the other day I passed like 14 clots in one day and it was, yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, this is like, anyway, so I, I was put on birth control seventh seventh grade I believe and from seventh grade until maybe like a year after I got out of uh, college so what is that like 10 years I'd probably been on 10 or 12 different birth controls in that period because it every time I got on a new one maybe it like made my period Uh um regular as in the amount of days Uh but those days where it was there it was debilitating Mm -hmm. 
And then I would just pop ibuprofen. And then I realized when I got to college, like, okay, you can't do that Mm -hmm. the whole time. But there was, there wasn't very many other options. So what was the next option? Get on another birth control. So it was just a cycle of birth controls. And I remember thinking, I remember in college, I, I went to like our primary, our like team doctor. And I told him like, I just don't feel right. Like in my head, outside of all the physical ailments, like I just, my brain, I feel like I'm not normal right now. Like this new birth control. And like I said earlier, I'm a nerd. So like the next time I went to fill my birth control, I looked at that like pamphlet that folds up into Uh like a two inch square. And then you open it up and it's like two feet long. And it talks about the symptoms and everything. And I remember seeing depression and like suicidal thoughts and all this stuff and I was like yo this is what I'm going through right Mm -hmm. now and maybe it's just me in regular life or maybe this is this is influencing it in some some way and so what happened they put me on a new birth control so that always seemed to be the solution but it has never worked so yeah yeah early 20s I told them I I don't want to be on birth control and um, to this day they're still like just take birth control Mm -hmm even though you want to have kids, just be on it for a little bit. So it is, it is an extremely frustrating process, but I want to talk a little bit about like, how did you, how did you get to the point where you started to do like some self discovery? Was there any particular experience that prompted you or did you meet somebody that kind of made you look outside of like the normal Western medicine for Um, how to treat your endometriosis? What really started it was I was tired. Mm. I was, I had been on, so at this point I'm not even 30 and I'm yeah. on my period basically all year mm. and I'm, and I'm tired and I'm like, I'm not even 30 and I still got to have at least what, like 20 years worth of periods before I get to menopausal age. Yeah. And it's not like I am having a period once a month, like I'm having a period pretty much all year. So am I going to be, until I get ready to hit menopause age, am I going to be having like my period? Like, is it, is this is how my period is going to go? You right. know, until I get ready to hit menopause. And I was, I was like, yeah, this it's I'm going to bleed out at this point. It's how I felt. Yes. Like, that's how I feel every month. Well, yeah. this is the month. Just- yeah. Like I felt like eventually, it's going to be transfusion on top of transfusion if I'm going to continuously have a period where I'm bleeding heavy for for 90 days out of the nine, mm-hmm. out, you know, nine months out of the year. And so I think I got so tired, I wrote a post on Instagram. And I was like, if anybody know anybody who can help me, like, send help. I, I don't know what I'm yeah. supposed to do. Like, I don't know what to do anymore. And you start to feel yeah. desperate. like Yeah, I did. And so there was this lady named Sunny that I was following on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And she was doing holistic health. And I didn't know it at the time. Um, but she sent me kind of like some herbs to try. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I started to do a little research, but not really like a whole lot. Like mm-hmm. it was like, oh, she gave me some herbs and it just like opened this whole world of herbs I just kind of like looked at I think it was like raspberry that she told me to look into and like chamomile and like hibiscus you know just a few a few herbs and I as I 
started to kind of dive. I guess the spirit was just leading me at this point. And so I ended up finding um, the Hood Healer Imani's page on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And I follow, I was following her for a while. She was talking about um, like reproductive health and women's health. And I had a reading with her. And then when I had a reading with her, that's when she told me I needed to change my diet and get off and stop eating dairy, especially mm-hmm. cheese. And she was like, you love cheese. And I was like, you're right. I do. I go on everything for me. Mm-hmm. So she was like, yeah, she was like, yeah, let that go. Um, and she told me, don't let the doctors tell me there isn't a cure because you can mm-hmm. figure, because you can figure it out. And then she gave me, um, another uh, young lady's name her name is Imani as well she gave me her information and then Imani made some herbal teas for me like she made a couple of wound detox teas and then once she made the teas for me she kind of put me on a little regimen and then that is when the the light bulb kind of came it's like oh you should really start exploring this so then I started to learn more about just herbs in general Mm. and at that point I was stuck between getting a hysterectomy or getting an ablation and for for y'all who don't know the difference between an ablation and a hysterectomy is that a hysterectomy they're going to take they're going to take your parts they're going to take your ovaries Mm -hmm. and your tubes and your uterus if you want a full hysterectomy or they'll just take your uterus and leave your ovaries and tubes if you want a partial hysterectomy but if you do an ablation they won't take the parts but they will burn your uterine lining and in theory it's supposed to go like a hysterectomy you never have a period again but in reality you'll get an ablation and then like eight years later you'll have a period again so my doctor had told me you don't want an ablation if you never want to have to like at least go through having not having a period you should get a hysterectomy but she didn't want to do it she said I'll do it because I know I, I know what kind of pain you in and I she's like I can only really offer you birth control and you done took at least half of them and nothing is working so she said, I don't want to do a hysterectomy because you're so young, but I will do it if you want. And once I had that reading with Imani and I got over the anxiety of getting off birth control because I was really scared to get off birth control and having to deal with the period that I had before I found out about the endometriosis because that period, even though it's not 90 days, it's 10 times worse than the period that I was dealing with on birth control. And that period was horrible. Yeah. I had a lot of anxiety about getting off of the birth control. Um, and until one day I just said, well, I got nothing else to lose and I don't really know what else to do. And my doctor was like, you know, try holistic. You know, I'll, you still come to me, but try your hand at holistic because like, it's really nothing else that I can offer you. I don't know what else I'm supposed to do. Um, How did so that I, feel? I just want to like, cause amazing. I, it felt good. Amazing. Yeah. Because most doctors are not going to say, well, try holistic instead of, trying this Mm -hmm. medicine or trying that medicine but it was she had tried everything she we tried progesterone treatments that made me bleed heavier and and a whole lot more so that wasn't working we tried she was trying to offer the oralisa which is the pill form of lupron i Mm -hmm. didn't want to i didn't want to go through that again i was sick of birth control i really didn't like birth control to begin with i really didn't want to be on birth control i hate birth control but i just I didn't see the purpose in trying another birth control fit to pretty much do the same thing. Like, it seems like my body, it'll work with medicine for like the first week or so, 
Mm-hmm. And then after that, it's gotten used to it and it doesn't work anymore. And I just didn't want to keep trying different birth controls for the same outcome. And so yeah. when she said try holistics, I said, well, if you say try it, then I guess I, mean, I guess I should try it. Yeah. And so I got off the day I, the day that I got off birth control. Um, I had the next one on. That was the last birth control that I had. So the day that my doctor took my birth control out, um, I gave up all meat. Only meat I was eating was seafood and it had to come like straight out the water. Mm-hmm. Um, I gave up dairy. Uh, how was that because I know it sounds like you like cheese like how I like cheese and I had to give up dairy I've given up dairy multiple times and now I'm in like a weird place with dairy Mm -hmm. where I'll eat goat cheese and Mm -hmm. I realize it doesn't affect me it's not the same it's not the same but I can't miss like maybe I can do like an expensive Mm -hmm. parmesan Mm -hmm. but I really don't touch cow dairy I don't touch milk I haven't had milk in like god knows how long but how was that for you because that transition is is for me was like tough yeah, like giving up meat was fine. Yeah. Because I like veggies. So eating a good veggie plate with no it's meat, good. you know, is good. But I made some good macaroni. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> See, I like macaroni and cheese. So I like, like that's my that's like before you asked me what was yeah. my favorite thing to cook, that would have that would have probably been it if I could still eat it. Yeah. But like I can't eat it, so I don't even really make macaroni like that anymore. But giving yeah. up cheese, like giving up the rest of dairy, like regular milk. It that wasn't that wasn't hard because I had already started drinking almond milk and like trying oat milk yeah, and same. stuff like that. It was the cheese. The cheese is the, the hardest was, one. The cheese is the hardest part of dairies to let go. And I didn't want to try like vegan cheese. I didn't want to try like those. If it's not yeah. real cheese, like I didn't. I don't want it. I just. It was hard. I don't know how I did it. To be honest, I guess it was just like me telling myself like you can't. You can't eat this otherwise. Yeah. Like it's you're never gonna like tr- at least try to figure out a way to have some kind of manageable life. So, I guess that was really, really it. Is like me really telling myself like you got to give up the cheese. You don't have no other choice. But it was hard. It was the hardest part. Yeah. To, to give up and like even for like some people like I know for other people like maybe sugar is hard for them to give up. Mm-hmm. I'm not really that much of a. I'm not really a sweets eater. So like giving up sugar or like eating things that didn't really have sugar is fine i like fruit so yeah for natural sugar is fine but cheese yeah that was a rough battle so what does your diet look like now and like does that change around the time that like your cycle comes is that because i know for me it changes mm-hmm. like that week before i really try to like make sure i don't have any alcohol the week mm-hmm. before um i don't even touch the goat cheese the, the week before i just really try to like try my best I don't touch soy that that was a big one for me because mm-hmm. I didn't eat meat either I for a while I, I was pescatarian for years mm-hmm. and then I was like you know what? I'm gonna try to eat less seafood and try to eat I ended up just subbing a mm-hmm. lot of the meat with meat substitute and, yeah they got a lot of soy in it and I didn't realize mm-hmm. how much it was affecting me until I actually found a chiropractor in St. Pete here in Florida mm-hmm. and he's like been a been a big game changer but the the one of the first things he said was like you got to cut out the soy and then i realized it wasn't just in like the meat substitutes mm-hmm. it's in like everything, everything. sauces yeah. mm-hmm. i mean crackers everything mm-hmm. yeah. so how what does your diet look like now um so right now i'm getting ready to go back to no meat i had to start back eating meat i felt like my body was kind of missing it yeah. um and so, not missing not missing meat like as in taste but like the like protein, calories. 
Yeah, like the yeah. protein and stuff. Um, so I felt like my body kind of needed it, but now my body's like, yeah, I'm kind of tired of meat. So I'm gonna, yeah. yeah, I'm going back to not eating meat. Um, still eat a lot of fruits. I love a good acai bowl. Yeah. I love a, I love a good fresh pressed juice, especially like celery juice or green juice. Any green juice is my favorite. Yeah. Um, I not eating dairy. Mm-hmm. If I do eat some dairy, it w- now it will be cheese. I ain't gonna lie, but it's like very <laughs> sporadic and it's not a lot. Like yeah. like a like a sprinkle of cheese. Yeah. Like me and my cousins, we have Taco Tuesday. Every, it's about every Tuesday, and so some very sporadic but some taco tuesdays i might like throw a little dash of cheese yeah but i'm gonna but i'm gonna steam afterwards to to detox it out um do you how do you feel when you when you have it like do you because i i I know if i touch it yes i feel feel bad bad. like that night and i i'm like congested clogged up i have a headache like it's almost like my reactions i don't know if they're getting worse or Mm -hmm. now i've just connected that it's the dairy that was causing like the congestion it's probably it's probably it's probably a connection but i don't feel bad in that way like my body doesn't necessarily feel bad i feel bad because i know i'm oh, not supposed to have it mentally you feel bad and i'm like girl <laughs> like girl, what are you doing why you know um now before my period comes so i don't really drink alcohol in general um i have mm-hmm. i drink wine like every now and then um i kind of i now that was something else that i had to give up when i got off birth control and stuff um just drinking wine and stuff kind of regularly so I don't drink it as much now but definitely not right before my period like if I drink maybe like five days or so before my period comes it's gonna make my period start early so I just so interesting you say that anytime I would drink when um when my endo was like really really bad anytime I would drink it would make my period start if if I wasn't already on my period even with working out it would make my period start um that's so interesting that you say that last mm-hmm. last month and I think this was one of the days that we were going to record that was mm-hmm. like that Sunday that we ended up not being able to record but my period came like five days early but mm-hmm. I had on a Friday I had like my husband and I we went out to dinner or something and I had drinks and then I had um a meal that had soy in it but I was mm-hmm. like okay I got time you know mm-hmm. I'm there's a bunch of soy and a bunch of alcohol it wasn't a bunch it was like one or two it was probably two drinks Mm -hmm. the next morning I was like yo what the hell like this is not supposed to be here so it's interesting that you say that because I didn't think that one could yeah yes well you know well you know know, alcohol has uh sugar in it and then the sugar causes inflammation you know and you know endo feeds off the inflammation so that's probably why so I just don't touch liquor like if it's not within those first two weeks when my period is nowhere near I, I'm not I can't drink it yeah. um but I definitely try to watch what I eat the week before my period um because I don't want to have to poop it all out I'm just saying we just don't yeah. be, be real on period <laughs> those period poops are not they're painful when you have endometriosis and I <laughs> it, it for real and I was I saw a video the other day and it was a, a girl talking about like oh I have butt cramps and I think it might have been another podcast mm-hmm. like clip that I was watching from a different podcast and she's like, oh, I have butt cramps. And the host was like, you have butt cramps. And she's like, no, I have butt cramps. And like, it's really mm-hmm. painful. And I'm looking at the comments and I'm like, yo, I thought everybody had butt cramps. No, it's really, um, I had, I did, a, um, I made a video 
um, about butt cramps. And I talked about butt cramps in a podcast interview, too. I but feel like it might have been your interview. It, it might have been. So, yeah. So, it's so, been a long day. <laughs> so most people don't know butt cramps is a sign of endo. And I don't, and I think only, I think most people, I think only the people really who have endo are the ones who experience, but experience butt cramps because I don't know anybody else who doesn't have endo and who gets butt cramps. Yeah. It's only, it's only the people I know with endo and that's a telltale sign of having endo is getting butt cramps. They, most doctors yeah. don't know that, um, but that's a sign of, of endo if you get butt cramps, like when yeah. every, every month when your period comes. Yeah. And I thought I thought so too. I thought it was a common thing. I thought everybody knew about butt cramps. Yeah, that's not. <laughs> they're they terrible. They are I mean, terrible. I wouldn't wish this on anybody Mm-mm. at all. Um, I want to talk, get into a little bit of. Um, I want to get into yoni steaming because that mm-hmm. is something that I've yet to try, but I think it's re- it really like piques my curiosity in terms of how it can be used, not just in a spiritual sense but also like a physical detox. So can you tell me, and for anybody that's listening that has never done a Yoni steam, or maybe they're like, what the hell is a Yoni steam? Like what is Ashley talking about? Like, yeah. can you, can you explain it for us? Yeah. So Yoni is the Sanskrit word for vagina. Um, so a Yoni steam is basically same concept of making tea. You take a pot of water and you boil it and you take um, a herbal blend, usually herbs that are tailored to whatever reproductive issue that you have going on. And you allow the herbs to steep in the water um, and you let the medicinal properties of the herbs and the water, the steam itself, penetrate the vagina to cleanse out the, the wound space. So we have like, especially with endo, we when we have our periods, we shed blood on the outside, but we yeah. shed blood on the inside of our bodies too. And that is how the endo tissue forms because the blood never leaves the body. So the yoni scene will allow for that stagnant blood to start circulating properly in the reproductive cavity. Um, it will also shrink cysts, shrink fibroids. Um, it will help with endometriosis flare-ups and PCOS, postpartum, menopause. Um, it helps with a lot of reproductive issues it'll help to put your period more um on a regular schedule or if you bleed like a super long time it'll help to kind of regulate your period but i tell people um outside of that part of yoni steaming the real reason that we should yoni steam is to start to heal the trauma that we've been going through that we either think we've healed or just decided we're not gonna heal just gonna move on past it Mm-hmm. Um, because as women, our wounds is where our intuition lies. And when we have trauma that we haven't healed from, that's where the trauma sits in our wound space. And then that a lot that causes our intuition to become clouded. And that also causes us to have reproductive issues, which is just a physical manifestation of the trauma that we haven't healed from. So when you do your yoni scene, a lot of people, um, We'll portray yoni seams as a way to tighten the vagina and like it's for sex and it does do that and it is helpful and that's important too. But it's really about you really learning to heal the trauma so that you can meet your woman its highest vibrating frequency. Because a lot of times we have ego and our ego wants to control our womb instead of letting our womb control and work for us. And so like we feed our womb things that we feel like she might want, but she really don't want that. 
Um, mm. It's energy that we have towards our womb, not doing things for us that we want her to do. And then she feels that negative energy. And then in turn, we don't have like a good experience with our womb. But it's really because mm. we don't love her. And she's trying to love us, but because we feel like she's not working properly or working for us in a way that we feel like she should, then that causes a disconnect. Wow. That is, I feel like I'm a little bit speechless right now because I have, I'm having like a, a moment where I'm, I hear what you're saying and I really feel like when we were supposed to, we were meant to do this podcast together. Mm -hmm today but for me personally I have been wanting to be pregnant for like the past couple of years like that is I've been really really want to get pregnant and not only have I like I have endometriosis I have it on my lungs it's stage four now and I'm also and you also have people that like say oh just get pregnant it'll like cure Uh your endometriosis or it'll get rid of it at least for Uh you know nine months but I think just now I realized just from hearing you say that, that I have been very angry with my womb. And I don't think mm-hmm. I really realized that until just now that I've just been really pissed off, like really frustrated with my womb, with my lungs. And just like, why isn't this working? Like, why mm-hmm. won't you just like relax? Like, why can't you just like do what all these other people's wombs are doing with ease? And, um, yeah, it is just, yeah, I, yeah, I'm just processing that right now. (laughs) I was angry at my womb for a while. Yeah. You experienced that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was mad. I was mad because I couldn't get pregnant naturally. Mm -hmm. And I had to try and figure out, even though I had always said I never wanted kids, but I was just saying that because intuitively I knew it was going to be a problem for me getting pregnant. I just didn't know it was going to be endometriosis. Um, But when I, but when I found out I couldn't get pregnant and I was like, no, but I really do want kids. Like I was just saying that I felt bad because I felt like I had spoke it. And then I had went, you know, to like an IVF doctor and was talking about freezing eggs. And I was sitting there talking to him about freezing eggs by myself. I don't have no partner to talk to about this I just felt I was real mad I was real angry because I was like why do I got to be in here talking to this man about freezing eggs for thirty thousand dollars and it might not work and then it's just why and yeah I was mad I was real mad and I was even more mad because I was trying all these medications and nothing was working yeah and it was like are we just gonna bleed like is that just Yes. We have. Is this <laughs> all we're doing? Bleed like, and be in yeah. pain? Like, is this it? Like, I'm trying mm-hmm. to, yeah, I'm trying to spend all this money and buy mm-hmm. supplements and, and go to the doctor and get all these tests. Mm-hmm. I had to have my first rectal exam, which was not great. Not fun, yeah. Last, uh, last month, I went to go see the endometriosis specialist and it was like an impromptu, like, hey, you're here. We should also do a rectal, rectal exam. Um, I know I'm getting TMI with this mm-hmm. episode, but um, yeah. I also know That's that a lot happens. of other people, yeah, a lot of other people deal with this. Some, mm-hmm. some of y'all might've heard of endometriosis. Maybe you have it. Maybe you have never heard of it, but I think there's a lot that goes into it that we just don't know about. Um, so I'm not going to bite my tongue this episode. I had a rectal exam. It was terrible. Um, 
it was not planned. I went to a doctor that's two hours away and he's like, you can come back and just get it. And I was like, I'm not coming Uh -uh. back Uh -uh. for this. And even just with that, he found a nodule like behind Uh my rectum, like between my my cervix and my rectum. Uh And I've been dealing with immense back pain this entire year. I've been trying to like lift heavy. And like, Uh like I said, I was super active. So I've been trying to get back to that. And I've been, I've had this back pain for the entire year. And it's not until I went to that doctor that he actually said, you know what? I think we need to also do a rectal exam. Cause he asked mm-hmm. more questions than the average doctor. The mm-hmm. doctor I saw before that just was like, okay, I can do a laparoscopy or I can just give you birth control. So it's also like, I'm frustrated with mm-hmm. my womb. I'm frustrated with doctors. I'm frustrated with myself because I also feel like I went through my whole twenties really trying not to get pregnant. Like my mm-hmm. husband and I have been, have been together since, I don't know, almost 10 years now, but I was very adamant like mm-hmm. early on in our relationship. I'm, I do not want to get pregnant. I want to get like a career going. I want to be mm-hmm. financially stable. And so there's like guilt in that of like, Oh, did I screw myself? Like, did I speak it into existence that I don't want to get pregnant right now? And so like God, the universe, whatever is like, okay, you don't want to get pregnant now. Try, you know, try when you're 32 and see Uh what happens. And that's how I feel. I know I'm venting right now, but (laughs) no, I, no, I get it. Because I used to say I didn't want kids. And then I would say, if I ever do have kids, I don't want to have kids until I'm married. And yeah. when I, this is going to, well, whatever y'all, we here now. We're here. Um, we're, we're here, here. now. So <laughs> I didn't know that like, it was like really a problem um, with me like getting pregnant until I had somebody say something's wrong because I've been trying to get you pregnant for months now really, and and nothing has happened. And then that's when I was like, I don't think I can have kids. And then, yeah. Wow. And and then I found out like, no, I I can't have kids. And I was like, yeah, that's yeah. And so I feel like, wow. Did you, is that something that y'all spoke about? Like it was okay. Yeah, like it was okay that that this person was trying to get you pregnant. Was that also no, no, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh! Yeah, the first thing I said was, first of all, how you gonna try to get me pregnant and not even tell me that 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 you're trying? (laughs) That's first of all. That's like a huge violation. But but I guess I mean in hindsight, I guess it was kind of necessary because I didn't really it had been it hadn't been that much of a thought to me like oh I like there's really a problem with me getting pregnant it really wasn't that much of a thought and so when I found out that I couldn't get pregnant because of the endo I was like well I was real mad because I felt like I had spoke spoke it into existence and now I can't get pregnant and I did that but then I also I think as I as I went through my healing and then I really started to learn more about myself and my womb I, I think it's really more of the fact that I asked God, I don't want to have kids until I'm married and I'm not married yet. Mm. And, I, and I said, well, maybe it was a blessing that I had endo and I couldn't get pregnant because mm. I didn't want to have kids until I was married anyway. And so maybe that's why, maybe that's part of the reason God gave me the endo and, and the, the infertility for a while. And so, because God knew I don't, I don't want to have kids until I'm married because I want to have a child out of love. Yeah. 
Is that, has that been, do you still feel the same way? Like, do you still? uh, mm, I'm okay. I'm not, I'm not picky um, about like, oh, like I want to have a baby. If I have one, I have one. If not, then yeah, like, it's okay. I'm not, I'm not going to be sad about it. Yeah. Do you feel like, cause I know you said that you kind of felt like, okay, maybe this is like a blessing in disguise. Mm -hmm. Do you still feel that way? Mm Mm-hmm. I still really? feel that way about yeah, yeah. I still feel that way about Endo because as as much hell as it was with especially when like I was in my sickest and couldn't walk and couldn't keep food down, it was bad. But I didn't know any black people who had mm. endo before I was diagnosed. Outside of Tia Mari, like she was the only person that I had ever like kind of heard. I didn't know she I have had, had endometriosis, but like I didn't personally know anybody and I couldn't like go on Facebook and find like endometriosis groups that yeah. had black people because when I was diagnosed the only thing you could find on Facebook about endometriosis was Nancy's Nook and Nancy, yes and Nancy's was... Nook is full of Caucasian women like in their 40s and up and yeah. a lot of them have uh, have fertility issues and a lot of them didn't find out they had the endo until they were trying to have a baby mm-hmm. and so when i got past the the depression of having endo and all of the suicidal thoughts and all of that once i got past it and i really like looked at myself and like thought about what my life was before i had found out i was diagnosed i was like man this like really sucked the life out of me and i kind of wish i would have never found out i had it i kind of wish i would just mm-hmm. i kind of wish i would have just kept going along with saying oh this is just a bad period because I felt like it like sucked away all the ambition that I had I had so much ambition and like drive and like I would plan I would plan my life around my period but I would never let my periods really stop me from doing the stuff that I needed to do and then I felt like once I had the diagnosis it kind of stopped me from doing all the stuff because when I got the diagnosis then I got all of the stuff that came with having the diagnosis instead of it just being like a bad period. It was like, now I was aware, like when I get pain during the month, like that's a flare and yeah. not just, not just like something random. Yeah. And so once, once I got past all that depression and stuff, I just looked at myself in the mirror one day and I was like, girl, is this what we about to do? Because after yeah. reading that, because after reading all those posts on Nancy's Nook and I'm seeing people having like, Surgery number 15. And yes, number it's the And I was sitting here like, who's yeah. going to have all those surgeries? Like, I'm our, yeah. like I'm only in my 20s and my early 20s today. And like, I get, <clears throat> who, I don't want to be to my 30s. And I'm like, at surgery number 10. Like, I don't want to yeah. get cut open that many times. So I looked at myself in the mirror. I said, girl, you going to let this disease take you? Or are you going to take it? Because somebody, somebody ain't going to make it. And it, mm. and it ain't going to be me. So we're going to have to figure something out. And so that's kind of how I push myself into being yeah. an advocate. Yeah. Um, how I kind of talk myself into being an advocate. Because I just figure, like, if I can't find anybody black with it, I guess God gave it to me so I could be the person to talk about it. So. Mm. Wow. That is that is a powerful way to, to, to like, change your perspective. Because I've, I've definitely been there. I was in Nancy's Nook. I was in, like, an online support group. And... Yeah, this is like this is a very eye-opening conversation because I think I've I've gone through similar I'm not I'm not quite where you are now, of course, but mm-hmm. I have definitely felt the like 
the more I know, the more I'm like, oh my gosh, this is mm-hmm. something else. Like, oh, belly button pain. Mm-hmm. Okay, that has to do with endometriosis. Okay, diaphragm. Like, okay, me getting out of breath mm-hmm. is like, okay, that means I've got a hole in my lung and mm-hmm. it's opening up. Like all these things. It's like the more you know, you can't. Mm-hmm. Like ignorance is you bliss. You can't unknow it. You can't yeah. know it once you know. You can't unknow yeah. it. And so like I wish I didn't know. Yeah, and I'm like, like I said. I'm a, I'm a book nerd, so I mm-hmm. will just keep researching, and mm-hmm. I will like, and I almost research myself into like into a depression or into mm-hmm. feeling like oh my gosh, like hopelessness going down the rabbit hole. The rabbit, and it's mm-hmm. deep. It's very deep. <laughs> I don't, maybe the doctors need to go down the rabbit hole because they don't know. Okay, anything. I feel like I'm educated. I know them. more. I about to say we know more as patients. We know more than the doctors do. I feel yes, they don't know. They don't be knowing. Yeah, on my third hospital visit with my lung collapse. I brought in a book. Um, it's by Dr. Sechkin, Dr. Tamir Sechkin, mm-hmm. who's like an endometriosis specialist in New York. Um, and it talks about thoracic endometriosis in particular. And and also has a lot of endometriosis facts and, and all mm-hmm. of that good stuff in there. I brought that book with me to the hospital because I was like, do you know who this doctor is? Mm-hmm. Do you know what this mm-hmm. symptom is? This These are the symptoms I have. Mm-hmm. Like, I need y'all to listen to me and it's exhausting that was during covid mm-hmm. when that happens i'm there by myself and i'm there like in a hospital gown trying to lecture these doctors mm-hmm. about what this doctor yeah. that actually knows what he's talking about i mean it's it's exhausting so it is i think it's very like it shows your resilience and i think it shows your determination to like find to to be a beacon of light for other people um because i think a lot of us I'm sure I'm not the only person feeling this way, but it is very encouraging to like speak to somebody like you who has been along the same path, but has gotten to a point where you're like, you know, what? I'm going to kick this thing's ass and I'm going to tell everybody mm-hmm. about what it is and, and, um, and advocate. So I, I know that when we originally spoke, you had told me that there were, that you were doing some reproductive healthcare advocacy specifically mm-hmm. with young girls. Can you tell us a little bit about, about that? Yeah, so um, through the Endometriosis Foundation of America, I go to high schools in my free time, and I like to teach about endometriosis and period health care. Um, I teach them about other reproductive um, diseases too, like fibroids and PCOS, but we really talk in-depthly about endometriosis. Um, I talk to them, I tell them my personal story, which really helps um, for them to become more vulnerable and asking questions about themselves and about their reproductive health. I teach them about advocating for themselves with their doctors, um, especially being brown girls, black girls, because they don't listen to us. Um, I also teach them how to advocate with their families, particularly with their moms, because a lot of times, especially in black families, we don't really talk about this kind of stuff. And it does get deduced to, a bad period or like my period was like that. So that's kind of just like how yours is, Um, you know, which is fine because they didn't know. They They don't know, know. you know, they They didn't didn't know know. and they, and they still don't know for the Mm -hmm. most part. Um, And so I teach them how to kind of talk to their parents and say like, no, it's not just a bad period. Like this is what it might be. We need to go to the doctor and maybe find out. Um, I teach them about pads, the differences in 
like using brands like Always and how they're toxic versus the, the organic. Yeah, versus the yeah. organic. I try to donate organic pads to them um, if I can. I talk to them about diet and, you know, teenagers, they love hot Cheetos first thing in the morning. And then Takis, hot Cheetos and Takis. Exactly. So I try to talk to them about their diet. I try to talk to them about like soaps and fragrances and like how you shouldn't be bathing your vagina with scented soap. With Victoria's Secret. Yeah. Like like I used to do in high school. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the Bath and Body Works and all, (laughs) you know, all that. Mm-hmm. Them about you know like don't spray that down there don't use those kind of soaps down there like I teach them you know that a vagina is self-cleansing so you don't have to all you need is soap I mean all you need yeah. is your hand and water like you yeah. don't and a vagina smells cleanse. like a vagina it's not supposed yeah, to smell like roses to t- yeah, or exactly. tangerine <laughs> yeah we talk about you know we talk about sex um when I do teach students I don't exclude the boys from the conversation good that was gonna be I, my next question yeah I, I, I yeah. always give I always give them the option um mm-hmm. to stay I'll tell them because you know you know when you go to the school kids don't know you they're looking at you like who are you and why are you here yeah. why are you talking to my class today what you finna talk about mm-hmm. um so I don't tell them before the presentation what I'm talking about I just say if you want to sit and listen for the first you know five minutes and decide, you know, whether you want to stay or go, you know, that's cool. Do you have, do you have boys that stay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I've had, um, I had this one, this one class, um, this, this young boy, he was in my class and he asked all the questions. Like, really? he was asking me, you know, like what kind of flare, what happens? Um, what kind of food do I eat that causes me to have endo flares? Like, are there certain seasons or like temperatures that I can't be out in because I might get a flare? He was asking me everything. So wow. I so I figure he must know somebody like his sister or he must got a yeah. cousin or an aunt or like a friend or like somebody that he was asking all these questions for. But I've never mm-hmm. had nobody ask me, ask me the temperature question. And it was the first, and that was, I was like, people should ask questions like that because there are certain temperatures that I cannot go really? out in like, not when it's too cold outside. Yeah. Like I can't I I don't like winter. Like I get anxiety I, when, I get anxiety when winter comes. But it's yeah. because like I feel like my body goes into shock when it's really cold outside. Same. You add in endo or you add in like I'm on my period on top of that and I have to mm-hmm. go outside in the freezing cold while I'm on my period and I'm losing blood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's a bad combination. It's a bad combination. <laughs> yeah. That makes me really happy to hear that that young boys are invited to the conversation because I think they need to hear or it. Th- they need to hear it. I think not just because well, for one, you make a great point. Mm-hmm. He could have definitely known somebody or had a relationship mm-hmm. with somebody, whether it be mom, sister, girlfriend, cousin, mm-hmm. whoever, that may have he might have like you know, connected all the dots for like, okay, mm-hmm. maybe this is what she's going through. Maybe she mm-hmm. doesn't know. Um, but I also think it men should just know. Like yeah, everybody should have empathetic. knowledge about this. Yeah, it makes them more empathetic because again, a lot of people just think like, oh, if you know, it's your period, you have your period once a month, like it can't be that bad. But yeah, if 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 you don't tell guys about about what you go through during your period or if they don't see it mm-hmm. they just really automatically assume like it can't really be like 
that bad. Yes, because you have it once a month so it's not something that's new so it's like something that you should be used to because you have it once a month but if they don't see you like I was one of those people I don't I don't I don't even like my friends to see me on my period like mm. my my close friends and so when the time came when my close friends did start seeing me on my period and then I would be like in a relationship and then they had to start seeing me on my period like I felt very um helpless I guess yeah because I, I don't want people because I don't want people to feel like they got to pity me yeah. or feel like they got to take care of me and so I had to learn how to take care of me with the endo by myself because I didn't want people to feel like I was relying on them to take care of me yeah. so I don't really like for people to see me on my period and I've never really I would be in relationships and will avoid you during yeah. my like during my period because I don't want you to see me sick like that yeah, see, that's how I used to be. And I think once my husband and I obviously like our relationship grew and we moved in together and I started like being more open about it, it was a huge relief for me because mm-hmm. I felt like I was holding on. I was really just doing everything by myself mm-hmm. and also having to keep it all in mm-hmm. to myself. Yeah. Um. And it can, for me, it was just a very lonely feeling. Mm-hmm. And I also felt like I was just hiding, like I'm yeah. masking me really not feeling well and mm-hmm. masking like the fact that I'm in like a 15 out of 10 amount of pain after mm-hmm. like 2000 milligrams mm-hmm. of naproxen. And I mm-hmm. still am on the, on the floor, like crying. Yeah. And now I have to try to put on jeans mm-hmm. and a belt and like go yeah. out with our friends and yeah. try to pretend like everything is fine. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, you know, like yeah. you just talk about more anxiety, but yeah. I know for me personally, that has been like a huge weight off of my, that was a huge weight off my shoulders earlier mm-hmm. in, the, in the relationship. But I think it was because he created a space mm-hmm. where I felt safe enough to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And I felt safe enough to be like, he was curious about it similar to like the kid in the class mm-hmm. he was very curious once I once I kind of like opened up to him he's like okay what is this and he's like looking online and like mm-hmm. oh I've heard this and like well what does this mean and like what do you mean you pass blood clots I mean it's really mm-hmm. weird to have those conversations with somebody yeah. that you want to mm-hmm. see you as like a sexual yeah. like mm-hmm. you know sensual mm-hmm. being and then it's like actually for one week or more a month, I'm mm-hmm. just over here just bleeding my life away. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, I would I will say it's been a game changer when it comes to like sharing. And mm-hmm. I've also in the past few years shared with some friends. And it's been interesting because I have a couple of friends, one friend in particular that that also has endometriosis. And we had been friends for I want to say like a couple years before we talked about it and she's like, Oh yeah, I have it too. And I've kind of, and I go through the same things and like, and so now I feel better when I can't make something when I'm like, Mm -hmm. I'm really not feeling well, like my cycle hit or Mm -hmm. it's about to hit. And I'm, I feel like heard, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So insane. Insane. Yeah. Without feeling like pity. Like I don't want pity. I just want to have like an understanding of like, this is something that I'm working through right now. Mm And I just need you to be patient with me. Yeah. And don't be and don't be angry with me either because I can't make it. Yeah. And because and because I couldn't make it last time or the time before that. Because yes. I'm trying it. I'm really trying it. But yes. it's just, 
just be taking you out for the counting. It's like you, and it comes out of nowhere, so you can't even really prepare for it because you literally could be skipping through, skipping through the trees, and then yes. two seconds, and then two seconds later, you done tripped over a rock, and now mm-hmm. it's all over. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now you're bent over and mm-hmm. like ugh, cancel everything mm-hmm. for the next like five days. Yep. Um, I want to uh, talk a little bit more about um your title, which is certi- mm-hmm. uh, certified holistic health practitioner. And um, like, what does helping people look like as a certified holistic health practitioner? Um, So I'm licensed by the state of Georgia as a certified holistic health practitioner. So that means that I cannot diagnose you with anything, but I can assist you in your healing with herbs and spiritual practices and holistic practices. So for me, that looks like consulting um mm-hmm. I do outside of like yoni steaming and reiki and doing spiritual massage cleanses um my focus is really on helping people heal the trauma because that's the root um like I can help you heal or manage the indoor the the, the reproductive issues but it's, it's not really going to do much if you still got trauma that's yeah. lingering that you haven't healed from so um, when I do my consults, we talk about trauma that you haven't healed from. And then I give you like different techniques to try to work through those traumas, like um, having open chair conversations, which is like you sitting in front of a chair that has nobody in it, but you visualize somebody who has given you some kind of trauma that you hadn't healed from yet. So, you know, past relationship partner or your mom or your dad or a family member or even yourself you can visualize yourself sitting in a mm-hmm. chair because you done did something to yourself and you need to you need to work through it um but it's really to have the conversation um where you talk about the trauma and how it made you feel and gives you the chance to sit in the emotions that we be trying to run from all the time mm-hmm. <laughs> so but it but it gives you the vulnerability to sit in the emotions and not feel like you're being judged because you're talking to somebody and now you're worrying about how they're going to perceive or accept your emotions. It's not about that. Mm-hmm. It's just about you getting whatever you have over you that is still traumatic that you need to say and just saying it to that person so you can get the energy off of you. Mm. So if you want to cry, cry. If you need to scream at them, scream. If you need, yes. throw, if you need throw something to to the invisible, invisible, uh, invisible chair, like do all that. Just you know? toss it. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's a lot of times we, you know, we get mad. We might feel like we need to cry, but we don't want to cry. Yeah. And we just go on about our day, and it just forget it happened. <laughs> yeah. And I think the reality is, and the more people, more people I spoke, I speak to, I'm. I hear more and more like trauma gets trapped inside the body. Like if you Mm -hmm. don't release it and you don't deal with it, not just the trauma, but the reactions to the trauma get trapped Mm -hmm. inside of the body. And I think it's even like more than just crying, but like you're saying, like getting even just the words out or the Mm -hmm. feelings out that you're literally keeping inside of you. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that I, I really believe that a lot of, the stuff that happens to our body mm-hmm. is 
is part of like your soul, your heart, your brain, like the things Mm -hmm. that you think, how somebody's made you feel, how you made yourself feel. And if it's not addressed, then your body's just gonna be like, okay, I'm just gonna store it here Mm -hmm. and I'm just gonna put it here. I'm gonna store it here. But I wanna Mm -hmm. ask you a little bit about how for somebody that is like, where is trauma stored and how is it related to the womb? Like, what would you tell them? Well, everybody stores trauma. You can store trauma anywhere, but particularly in the womb, um, at least for me, like it feels like a boulder. Mm. It's like sitting literally on my womb. And it's like, unless I'm starting to work through the trauma or like speaking up, it's like the boulder isn't going to move until I start doing something. So I struggle, which might be hard to believe, but sometimes I struggle with um, speaking my truth. And mm-hmm. so my throat chakra is blocked some, a lot of times. I ain't gonna say sometimes, a lot of times I'm working on it. Um, yeah. But the, the jawbone is connected to the pelvic bone really coincidentally they both look the same like if you look at what the pelvic bone looks like and the jawbone they both look the same yeah and so energetically when I don't speak certain things I feel the weight of it in my womb it's like a a, a boulder with a with a rope on it and it's just like being pulled wow and so for me particularly I don't know about for other people but like because I know the jaw and the pelvic are connected and because I know if I don't keep my sacral open, all that energy is going to just sit there. Yeah. And then the energy will like, I'll start getting like pains and stuff. But that's just wow. the, that's just the trauma or the, or something that I need to do to get off of my, to get it off of my spirit. Mm. Wow. I think um, I'm, I'm super thankful like that we're having this conversation and I want to I think I mentioned earlier I actually ordered um I believe it's and I'm, I don't want to screw up the name so I'm not going to even try to try to get it out my brain but your tablets that you have or your mm-hmm. yes yeah, so I ordered some um I think this is after we first spoke mm-hmm. and I don't know if I told you at that point but I had just been to the endometriosis specialist and they were like you're going to have to have lung surgery mm-hmm. and all that good stuff. And I was like, okay, I have this amount of time to like prep my body before mm-hmm. I have to have this surgery. And so one thing that I've added to my endometrius coping toolbox is, uh, is your, your supplements. So I want to, I want you to tell everybody about the products that you create and um, how maybe they might, they might be helpful, helpful for somebody that's listening. So I make in-touch womb detox capsules. Um, So it's basically just a herbal capsule blend that helps to detox the womb space, kind of similar to what a yoni scene would do, help get the blood circulating, um, start moving like those clots that's sitting there um, from the body. Also help with your period. So like if you have like debilitating cramps, it'll help to lessen the cramps and help to lessen the bleeding. It has eight, seven or eight herbs um, in the capsule. And it was a Yoni Sing blend originally that I had put together when I was working on healing my endometriosis once I got out the birth control. So mm-hmm. I had put myself on a Yoni Sing schedule. And 
I saw how well it was working because after that first month of not being on birth control and doing the Yoni Steen regimen, my period was five days and I didn't bleed heavy. I wasn't cramping. Like I was outside and I couldn't believe it. Wow. And, like willingly going outside and like, yeah. I could not believe it. <laughs> um, so I was like, well, everybody doesn't Yoni Steam or everybody isn't familiar with Yoni Steaming or don't have the tools to Yoni Steam, but everybody can take a capsule. So I said, well, maybe I'll just put this blend in a capsule and like see how it does. And so that's what I did. And so yeah. far, so good. So far, it's been helping. It's been helping women. Um, I get a lot of, I get a lot of feedback about their periods, um, like how their periods go after they've been taking the detox capsules. Um, I get a lot of people who say they don't even know that their period was coming because they didn't feel the normal cramps that they have right before it comes. Like, it was like they went to the bathroom and it was like, my period's here. I even know it was coming. Um, But I've had women say, you know, their cramps have lessened, their blood flow isn't as heavy as it was before. Um, I also create Yoni Steam blends and I also create other herbal capsules like mullein capsules and sea moss capsules and maca root capsules, uh, just different kind of herb, herbal capsules that'll help with not only just womb health, but just overall body health. Like mullein is a good herb to take for your lungs. Um, it's good if you if you smoke and you need to clear your lungs. It's good to help keep mucus out of the body, especially with like flu season coming up. So mullein is like really good for that. Like sea moss is a herb that's good for the whole body because sea moss has like 92 out of the hundred and some odd minerals that are in the body. So yeah. Yes. So if you're listening and you're like, Hmm, what can I add to my regimen that can possibly help me whether you have endometriosis or you're just trying to you know, just uplift your mm-hmm. body and uplift your health. Um, I will make sure. Well, Samantha, I'll let you kind of tell the people where they can find you. Um, so my website is my name, SamanthaDenae.com. Um, my Instagram is also the same, or you could Google, or you could search like the Endo Educator on Instagram and it'll pop up. And my links are all in my bio. Um, if you are in Atlanta, in Little Five Points, there is the Honey Pot store that is also where I sell some of my products as well and if you are also in Atlanta I do servicing out of Ewe Fresh which is um, located downtown on Nelson Street and then we also have another location which is in Lakewood okay I see you all over Atlanta yeah I'm trying to be (laughs) trying to help trying to help y'all out (laughs) yes I love that so if you're in Atlanta definitely hit her up Um, if you're not in Atlanta still hit her up Mm -hmm. I'll make sure all of the uh, I'll make sure you guys have everything you need in order to, in order to get in touch with Samantha um, in the description below. Um, make sure that I, I would just say, listen to your body. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's probably like the biggest thing to come away with today is like, listen to your body and just know. Um, I think that the quote that you mentioned earlier, and I, I, I kind of want you to maybe say it again so we can kind of round out the episode with it. But that quote, Um, And I asked you what the best piece of advice that you're given. Can you tell us that quote again? Oh, make sure while you are working on somebody else's dreams that you don't forget your own. Yes. And so no matter what that dream is, whether it is um, to have a family, to own a business, to move somewhere, to be healthy, Mm -hmm. to whatever it may be, um, just make sure like you keeping, you stay focused on your, on your own stuff as well. Uh, like Samantha's doing. Yes. Be intentional, guys. 
Yes. That's the main thing. Yeah. 100%. Well, before we wrap up, I do want to just end with the mind games answer. Um, Again, with the, just going back, I'll give you guys a little uh, snippet of the description for the the mind games uh, question. So it's a syndrome. That's a condition that some people get when they lose some or all of their vision and it causes them to have visual hallucinations or basically seeing things that aren't really there. Um, the name of this syndrome, drum roll, please. I don't have a drum roll button. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Samantha. Yes. The name of the syndrome is Charles Bonnet syndrome. Um, yes. Yeah, so it's, it's, I've never heard of this before until I just looked it up, but the main symptom of Charles Bonnet syndrome, better known as CBS, again, is having visual hallucinations and most people have them when they wake up. What people see can vary. It could be repeating patterns of lines, dots, or other geometric shapes. It could be landscapes such as mountains or waterfalls. It could be people's animals, insects, people's people, animals, or insects. Mm. Uh, It could be people dressed in costume from like an earlier time. I'm assuming that means like back in the day. Um, or it could be like imaginary creatures. So what I'm reading is basically, it could be anything. Wow. <laughs> I'm going to look this up. Yes. I'll make I'm sure I put the, I'll send you the, the link. Yeah. Um, but there's no current cure or effective medical treatment. There are, however, techniques that can help cope and help you cope and manage with the condition. So, um, some things that may help is just talking about your, your hallucinations to a professional or your support system. Um, some physical things that you can help within your environment is changing the light or the sound volume. Um, and also eye movement techniques may help. And of course, rest and relaxation when it comes to anything that is always helpful. But again, the description for, or not the description, the link for the mind games answer, which is Charles Bonnet syndrome. I'll throw in some information in the description so you guys can look it up, but I do just want to take a second to thank you again, Samantha, for hanging out with me tonight. I know it's late, um, but I'm really happy that that we managed to connect. Um, And I thank you for like being vulnerable and sharing your story. Thank you. Yes, you've been on one hell of a journey. So um, I'm cheering on you from afar. I think it's really powerful to have someone that looks like us in the school system, educating young people of any gender about what goes on with our reproductive system and how to take care of ourselves and how to just be knowledgeable, knowledgeable about it, about it. And then also just being able to provide some holistic options when it feels like there's no options out there for us. Um, Thank you to everybody that's listening. If you uh, have been listening for a while, I appreciate you. I thank you. If this is your first episode, congratulations. You made it to the end, um, but I do want to thank everybody for tuning in to today's episode. Make sure to follow us on uh, Instagram at Black Girls Have Anxiety Too. Uh, same thing on TikTok and on Twitter. It's at Anxious Black Girls. It's at Anxious BLK Black Girls. And if you are a Black woman who wants to come on and share your journey about your own mental health, please send me an email, blackgirlshaveanxiety2 at gmail.com. I'm always looking for more people to join. Um, Same thing if you are a Black woman and you are a mental health professional or you are an advocate similar to Samantha, um, please hit me up. Again, always looking for new people. um, And I'd love to meet some of the people that are listening to the pod too. So 
Um, again, thanks for listening. And I hope you have a wonderful day, afternoon, night, whatever it may be. And I will see you on the next episode. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Black Girls Have Anxiety 2. No matter where you are in the world, I really appreciate your support. See you again on the next episode, but until then, follow us on Instagram at Black Girls Have Anxiety 2 and on Twitter at Anxious Black Girls. That's Anxious BLK Girls. And remember, just because you're struggling doesn't mean you have to struggle in silence. The more we talk about it, the more we heal.